America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. And what a great day it is. The stock market is up, up, up. There is good news on the job front. Uh, unbelievably good news. Employers added 330,000, 9,000 339,000 new jobs in the month of May, according to the monthly employment report from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. That's a much hotter number, about twice as hot, as a matter of fact, to the uh, prediction that the economists were expecting, which was 190,000. So do you know what is amazing to me, Jeremy, is right now they are estimating the total uh, jobs that are looking for people to fill them uh, looking for people to go to work, get paid. It's 10 million job openings we have in this country. And this, by the way, is one of the reasons that there's so many people who are trying to immigrate to the United States. Uh, the the good news on the debt ceiling last night uh, has done wonders for the market, which was uh, up with a, a concluding what has ended up being a very successful week. Why is it up? It's up because we are not going to have some kind of horrible disaster associated with default, where they were talking about that would have cost 8 million jobs minimum if we had defaulted and would have had a devastating international impact economically and particularly, of course, on the economy of the United States of America. This is a tremendous victory for uh, the Speaker of the House, for Kevin McCarthy, who a lot of people had written off because he was supposed to be the weakest speaker we've ever had because he had made all these deals. It had taken him 15 different ballots to be elected speaker before he could get people with the Freedom Caucus to go along with him. Well, the people of the Freedom Caucus still don't go along with them. There were 71 Republicans who voted no on the bill in the House of Representatives of the United States. But in the House of Representatives, McCarthy won almost two to one. Last night, they got uh, more than enough senators that they needed. Uh, there were only 17 Republican senators who voted for the debt ceiling bill. But given the fact that there were so many Democrats who uh, supported the bill, and uh, reasonably enough, why did they do it? Because, again, despite the fact that I, I know that there are people out there who believe that uh, the other side, whether the other side to you is the Democrats or the other side to you is Republicans, there are people who believe the other side wants to ruin America. It wants to destroy America. And they really want to see people suffer. When you're a politician and you're depending on people voting for you, uh, it, it doesn't really make any sense. So now that this bill is in place, I believe they're talking about doing a signing ceremony tonight. Is that right, Jeremy? Uh, Joe Biden is going to be doing a signing ceremony, and you know what? Uh, everyone should make sure that there are no sandbags <laughs> on the stage when the signing ceremony takes place. No, he'll be sitting, probably, at the Resolute Desk in the Oval Office. It'll be something like that. It'll be 
a big deal because it is a big deal. And I suspect he's going to be generous in giving credit to his partners on this. And his partners on this include uh, Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, and Mitch McConnell recovered from his injuries, uh, just Im- importantly. In, in Axios, uh, they uh, uh, oh, this just in from the New York Times, okay. Mr. Biden is expected to sign the bill before Monday, the so-called X date, when the Treasury Secretary said the government would run out of cash to pay its bills on time. It's a situation that economists predicted would cause global turmoil. The president's remarks are scheduled for 7 p.m. That's 7 p.m. tonight. So when I'm on the way home from the office here, where I'm broadcasting today from uh, our studios... And uh, I should be able to hear what the president has to say. And it would be appropriate if uh, Kevin McCarthy had something to say as well, because this is a great personal triumph to him. And uh, there's a great piece by Kimberly Strassel uh, about uh, the uh, Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House. And uh, the headline, McCarthy Earns the Speakership. And uh, and she writes that as Kevin McCarthy triumphantly caps this long week of a debt ceiling showdown, his painful January seems like a distant memory. The House Speaker notched a, a real win this week when the House passed 314 to 117. And last night it was 63 to 36, the votes in the Senate. Um, Most of those votes for the bill from Democrats, but plenty of Republicans, including the Republican leadership, uh, voting for the debt ceiling bill. The House Speaker notched a real win this night. Uh, House passed 314-117, a spending reform bill negotiated almost entirely on Republican terms. The legislation is no panacea to federal ills, though it marks a sharp reversal from 18 months of Biden White House dominance. Equally important, it sent a loud message. Republicans can govern. Wow. Well, exactly right. Uh, And why does this matter so much? It matters because... (laughs) The threat of not having a a bill and not being able to pay people's Social Security on time or other bills that the government incurred was dangerous to our national defense and terribly dangerous to our economy. Um, What's in it, Axios asks. Spending, it keeps non-defense discretionary spending in the 2024 budget, roughly steady at 2023 levels and caps growth for the 2025 budget at 1%. It uh, codifies the Biden administration's request for $886 billion for the Pentagon. That's roughly a 3% increase. Now, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of Republicans who voted no on this, who said that... Uh, uh, that wasn't enough of an increase. But you weren't going to get more of an increase by having a default. What you were going to be doing is taking more federal money than you needed to and paying that in higher interest rates that you had on the existing national debt. 
And this does not stop the accruance of a national debt, but it slows it down a little bit. Uh, driving the news, says Axios, uh, senators voted 63 to 36 to pass the bill with 46 Democrats and 17 Republicans voting for it. A group of 31 Republicans, um, mostly conservatives, voted against the bill. The only presidential candidate in the U.S. Senate at the moment, and believe it or not, that's Tim Scott, he voted no. Uh, the uh, so voting no did the Senate Republican Conference Chair John Barrasso of Wyoming. Five progressives also voted against it. Uh, Bernie Sanders of Vermont, who's not a Democrat and he's an independent. John Fetterman, he probably doesn't even know what he was voting on, but he voted uh, no. Uh, Ed Markey of Massachusetts and Jeff Merkley of Oregon, they're not related. And, of course, Elizabeth Warren. Senator Bill Haggerty, Republican of Tennessee, was attending his son's graduation. He was the only senator who didn't vote. Uh, we'll be right back with more on the impact and what it means politically. Coming up. Your outlet for outrage. I'm not going to take this anymore. The Michael Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. That's 1-800-955-1776. Look, uh, good news is <laughs> infectious, and uh, it is a joy to be able to share it. Uh, this in the uh, brand new, just posted on the Wall Street Journal, the May jobs report released Friday blew far past Wall Street's expectations, signaling that hiring across the U.S. economy remains robust. And... If one thinks that jobs are a good thing, that work is a good thing, that uh, it's actually good that Republicans were able to get into the debt ceiling bill, uh, some of the work requirements for welfare for a very select group of people. Now, again, this is not a, a, a massive change, but it's a move in the right direction, as the whole, whole debt ceiling bill is. Uh, this was the uh, last monthly job snapshot before the Fed's June meeting where the central bank is expected to hold rates steady after 10 consecutive increases. Why? Because we're doing a little bit better on inflation. Uh, the Senate voted to raise the debt limit, averting a default. The bill now goes to President Biden to sign. He's going to sign it at 7 p.m. Eastern time tonight. The Dow added 2% or more than 650 points. The Wall Street Journal reported earlier. The tech-heavy Nasdaq rose about 1%. The S&P climbed 1.5% with every sector in the green moving in the right direction. All three indexes are on tracks uh, for gains this week. The Wall Street fear gauge dipped 
uh, Treasury yields rose. The yield on the 10-year note was recently at 3.691% compared with 3.607% on Thursday. Um, this is this is all positive, is it not? I mean, is there something wrong here? Well, part of what's wrong is what's going on with North Korea. Apparently, they have a uh, an entire espionage and a secret program to undermine the American government. Uh, how is that going and what does that mean? We'll be talking about that with Gordon Chang uh, a little bit later. But in terms of the debt ceiling deal, which is a, a, a very strong indicator that, yes, it is possible for these parties to work together on something that is clearly in the uh, national interest, the... Um, they secured um, – just getting this done, one of the things they had to do is uh, they had to deal with all of the amendments that they were offering to the debt ceiling deal in the Senate. There were 11 different amendments that were allowed to be brought to the floor. None of them passed. Why not? Because if they had amended this bill, they would have had to go back to the House of Representatives. They might not have gotten this thing done on time. Remember, X day is Monday, which is the day basically when the world was supposed to be starting to fall apart. That didn't happen. And that's a uh, a good thing. And uh, it's it's a very serious matter that this got done. And the way that it was treated, well, uh, Lawrence O'Donnell announced it on MSNBC because he was the guy who was on the air in the middle of the night when the Senate finally voted. Uh, It sounded like this. This is clip 11. And there it is, 63 to 36, the bill is passed, as you just heard from the junior senator from California presiding over this very important session of the United States Senate. Uh, We said at the beginning of this hour that it was on a fast version of the slow track. It turned out to be on an even faster track tonight. The the United States Senate has passed the extension of the elimination, complete elimination of the debt ceiling for the next two years. Uh, So this will not be an issue again for two years in the Congress. Is somebody going to miss that, that we don't (laughs) have to go through this again? By the way, the only reason it is an issue, it was never an issue when Trump was president. When when Trump was president, uh, we raised the debt ceiling three different times because we had an emergency, which was called COVID-19, which involved a lot of new government spending. Uh, I, I mean, that was a, uh, a a very very natural thing did did anyone miss the fact that uh, the debt ceiling was raised automatically now they don't have to specify any of the debt ceiling arrangement that by the way was only incorporated into our federal government in 1917 in the uh, middle of World War one Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, and and again, it's a very, very fragile Senate majority because 
It's 51 to 49, and one of those 51 is the 89-year-old Dianne Feinstein. And by the way, among the, the very interesting pieces of scuttlebutt is the three Democrats who are running for Dianne Feinstein's seat in 2024 were split on this. Uh, Katie Porter and Barbara Lee, the very extreme liberals, voted no on the debt ceiling deal. And uh, Adam Schiff, um, the considered to be the more moderate Democratic candidate, uh, actually uh, voted yes. By the way, there's also going to be a Republican candidate, it looks like, and somebody who could shake up the entire race. Because the way it works in California is that you have a wide-open primary and everybody runs Republicans, Democrats together – and the top two vote-getters uh, actually come out and they compete in the general election. And the uh, candidate who uh, is shaking things up is someone who's never run for office before, but he's a very much a California celebrity. In fact, he's a worldwide celebrity. His name is Steve Garvey. Yeah, that's Steve Garvey, a star for the Dodgers, first baseman. Uh, somebody who has been a political conservative for a long time. Is it possible that Steve Garvey running against three different Democrats could actually uh, finish in the top two and uh, get into a general election, which he might have a chance of winning? There's nothing written in the law that says that Republicans can't win in California. Uh, meanwhile, uh, winning against North Korea is crucial uh, what is the world's largest transnational criminal organization? We'll answer that question and uh, more coming up with Gordon Chang uh, concerning China, Korea, and U.S. security in the future. Coming up on the Medvedge. Michael Medved Show, here is a provocative question. Uh, what is the world's largest transnational criminal organization? And somebody here is thinking a Mexican drug cartel or uh, the mafia. Uh, no. Uh, Gordon Chang says that at 96.7 million members, it is the Communist Party of China. Uh, Beijing's primary goal is rule, not just domination, of planet Earth and the near parts of the solar system. They are planning their own moon expedition coming up. Uh, Gordon Chang, uh, the author of The Coming Collapse of China and uh, The Great U.S.-China Tech War, another book by Gordon Chang. He's reachable on Twitter at uh, Gordon G. Chang. Uh, that's uh, a source of all kinds of information. So, uh, Gordon, what should the response be if we recognize that the Communist Party of China, with its nearly 100 million official members, is a criminal organization? What should the response of the U.S. and the world be? Well, thanks, Michael. Um, and this response should be, we should treat it like a criminal organization, a cartel. We should be prosecuting it. So, for instance, you know, we have um, all these issues about fentanyl 
and we'll go after a fentanyl trafficker. But really what we should be doing is we should be going after the Communist Party and treating it as such. And once we uh, convict it, which is, I think, easy to do, it, then we should be taking its assets. Um, we should be taking its members, putting them in jail. Um, the problem is that uh, the Communist Party, in a near to total surveillance state, um, knows what these fentanyl gangs are doing. They support them with their diplomats. They also support them with propaganda. And so it's clear that we're, ne we're not dealing with just uh, individual criminals. We're dealing with a criminal organization that happens to run a state. Oh, would you try to bring these cases in the world court in The Hague? Uh, how would you do it? In the U.N.? Yeah, I'd do it in the United States. These are crimes against the U.S., it's killing Americans, for instance. Um, we prosecute murderers in our country. We don't have to go to The Hague to do that. We can do that here. As a matter of fact, I think it would be better to do it here um, because the victims are Americans. The uh, CIA director, whose name is Bill Burns, it uh, was just revealed he had made an unannounced secret trip to China last month to try to calm things down after the spy balloon incidents. Uh, how did that go? Is that a good move for the director of our Central Intelligence Agency? Absolutely not. I mean, here we have a gross violation of our sovereignty. If anybody should be trying to calm things down, it should be China. And, uh, you know, what happens here is that China violates our sovereignty. And what do we do? We delay imposing measures um, that we would have otherwise put on place, put in place. And that's according to Reuters reporting. So China gets a twofer. It gets to surveil our nuclear weapons sites. And it gets to uh, postpone all of these measures that should be imposed right away. Speaking of China surveilling nuclear weapon sites, an unbelievable story this morning in the Washington Times. Uh, headline, North Korea targets U.S. intel figures on a secret cyber hit list. And this is not China. This is North Korea. Does North Korea have that kind of intelligence operation that could be a real threat to the United States here in our territory? The answer to that is yes, and it is China, because most of North Korea's hackers are actually based in China, because North Korea doesn't have good Internet connections, so it got to go to a country which does. And the North Korean hackers, we know where they are. Uh, uh, and so this is – China runs the Great Firewall, the most sophisticated set of Internet controls in the world. You can't send out a cyber attack from China and not have the Chinese officials know about it. And you certainly can't receive hundreds of terabytes of data from outside back into China without the Chinese knowing about it. So um, in, in the November 2014 Sony Pictures Entertainment hack, um, the FBI was asked, is there any other country other than North Korea involved? And, you know, the FBI said no. But the FBI knew that these attacks were launched from Chinese IP addresses. So, yes, the Chinese and the North Koreans are hacking us and they're engaging in all sorts of bad behavior. But we will not even say it in public. So this is on us. And the Chinese and North Koreans continue doing this because we look craven. We look afraid. We look intimidated. They commit crimes against us. And what do we do? We say, we didn't see it. Uh, there's an, another story, which is seems so incredibly bizarre, but uh, apparently it's been verified now. 
Uh, headline, suspected Chinese spies disguised as tourists tried to infiltrate an Alaskan uh, military base. This is near Fairbanks, Alaska. I've, w- it, are there a lot of tourists who come to visit our military bases in the middle of the Alaskan interior? And uh, Go ahead. There'd be a lot fewer if the Chinese weren't using their uh, intelligence agents as tourists. You know, I, I didn't. I didn't know that they uh, got uh, tourist uh, visits. I mean, this is this is interesting. You know, the Chinese are going to spy on us, and we should understand that. And we should also understand, Michael, that every Chinese national is under a compulsion to spy against the United States. It's not only in the Communist Party's top-down system, but it's also Article 7 and 14 of China's National Intelligence Law of 2017. So, um, you know, when we talk about Chinese nationals in our countries, we're talking about potential saboteurs, potential um, spies. And we won't talk about this because we say, oh, well, this is race, uh, you know. It's nothing to do with race. It has everything to do with China's communist system. And we will lose our country unless we start defending ourselves from a known threat. And we are talking about it right now with Gordon G. Chang. He's available on Twitter. It's at Gordon G. Chang. This from uh, CNN this week. Uh, Chinese leader Xi Jinping has uh, called on his top national security officials to think about, quote, worst case scenarios and to prepare for stormy seas as the ruling Communist Party hardens efforts to counter any perceived internal and external threats. What's a worst case scenario for Xi Jinping? Well, I suppose it's war. Um but, you know, the interesting thing about this report is that no one's threatening China. So if he thinks there's going to be a worst-case scenario, then it means he's attacking somebody and not doing particularly well. So this is, again, another indication that China's regime wants to go to war. Um, and, again, um, we have a political establishment in our country that is not willing to acknowledge a known threat. What about the Great Wall of North Korea uh, that they have been building to defend their borders with China and Russia? What's the deal? I, I think that you know North Korea uh, realizes that uh, it's got a lot of different enemies, um, but no, they also realize. I mean, they, they've got to keep North Koreans inside their country if they want to keep their regime going. So I think it's primarily internally directed rather than external. Um, North Korea would not continue in existence were it not for China's support. So, um, you know, I, I think that it's mostly internal, but uh, it, it's hard sometimes to figure out exactly what's going on in Pyongyang. It's, uh, in other words, uh, a desire to keep people inside North Korea more than it is to keep outsiders out. Um, more more like the old Berlin Wall than like, for instance, the border wall that uh, President Trump was talking about. Um, Gordon G. Chang, so much going on. I, I We have to speak again soon. And so much going on that is a real danger to the United States. What about the political dangers in the United States? We'll get to that and more coming up on The Medved Show.
the Russian army and the Russian forces uh, against Ukraine uh, are committing uh, almost daily atrocities. The most recent involves a mother and a nine-year-old girl who were killed on their way to a bomb shelter. And uh, with all of that going on, uh, a major victory, I guess, uh, for the Kremlin, which has been announced by The Guardian in Great Britain. And um, the uh, it turns out that Tara Reid, if you remember her, uh, she uh, was a former aide to Joe Biden, actually a, a, an intern, basically, in his Senate office in 1993. And uh, she accused Senator Biden, uh, before he became vice president, before he being president, of sexual assault. And uh, she has a message to... Uh, she has been a, a huge Vladimir Putin fan since the time she initially made the accusations. And it was one of the reasons that this never got that much traction because, again, when you looked at Tara Reid's current orientation and her personal history, it, it this was not a, a solid source. This was... This was not somebody with a record of believability or any participation in the American uh, mainstream. She has a uh, new announcement that, as dated yesterday, it says, To my Russian brothers and sisters, I'm sorry right now that American elites are choosing to have such an aggressive stance. And... Uh, the former Senate staffer who made claim in 2020 appears on Russian media alongside a convicted Russian agent in the U.S., Maria Butina. Uh, Tara Reid, a former Senate staffer who in 2020, during the campaign, accused Joe Biden of sexual assault, has said she has now defected to Russia. <laughs> you know, the the only... Who is the most famous defector to Russia we've ever had in this country, Jeremy? You know, immediately, Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh, yes, right. Uh, this is unbelievable. Um, I'm still kind of in a daze, but I feel very, very good. Uh, Tara Reid said on Sputnik, a Russian press outlet supportive of President Putin uh, while sitting next to Maria Butina, or Butina, uh, a convicted Russian agent jailed in the U.S., but now a member of parliament in Russia. Uh, I feel surrounded by protection and safety. Of course, nothing, nothing makes you feel surrounded by protection and safety like um, defecting to the Kremlin. Uh, now 59, Reed was a staffer for Biden when he was a senator from Delaware. At her press conference in Russia, Reed was described as a writer and publicist and former aide to Joe Biden. Uh, sitting next to Butina, uh, Reed said, I just really so appreciate Maria and everyone who's been giving me protection at a time when it's been very difficult to know if I'm safe or not. I just didn't want to walk home and walk into a cage or be killed, which is basically my two choices. 
Uh, Reid recently considered testifying before U.S. House Republicans seeking to use committees to attack Biden and his family. The decision to defect for, to Russia, she told Sputnik, was very difficult. I'm not an impulsive person. I really take my time and sort of analyze data points. And from what I could see based on the cases and based on what was happening and the sort of push for them to not want me to testify, I felt that while the 2024 election is gearing up and there's so much at stake, I'm almost better off here and just being safe. My dream is to live in both places, but it may be that I only live in this place and that's okay. Uh, who knows how much time she has spent in Russia, but the idea of uh, Russian defectors, um, I'm, I'm not sure that we should uh, so profoundly mourn the loss of Tara Reid. Um, yesterday, uh, we, we were talking about the Great Wall that they're building in North Korea. Uh, yesterday was the day of the Great Fall at the Air Force Academy where the uh, – president was giving a speech to graduates. It is traditional for the president to take one service cap uh, academy or another and to speak at one of our service academies every year in commencement. So uh, the president uh, stood on the uh, stage shaking hands with graduates, congratulating them for two hours. And then when he was getting done with that, he was making a show of sort of semi-jogging, as he does, to uh, get back to his seat. And he hit a sandbag, a black sandbag that he didn't see. And he tripped. And he fell. And uh, upon returning to the White House, he joked with reporters after he got off his helicopter. Uh, listen, clip one. Uh, he then also skipped to show his agility to the press and that he wasn't injured, he isn't hospitalized. He fell down. He was picked up immediately by uh, two people, lifted up, and he seemed to be fine. Uh, President Trump had a thoughtful response to uh, President Biden's mishap, no doubt recalling his own criticism about sort of tiptoeing down a wet ramp when he was speaking at another service academy at West Point while he was still president. Uh, here's President Trump, clip nine. He actually fell down? Well, I hope he wasn't hurt. I hope he wasn't hurt. But it's the whole thing is, look, the whole thing is crazy. You got to be careful about that. You got to be careful about that because you don't, you don't want that. Even if you have to tiptoe down a ramp, you got to <laughs> like an ice cream. You know, it's the same because that was the best speech I think I've ever made. And it was pouring rain and it was horrible and cold and windy. And they have a ramp that was pure like an ice skating rink. And it was like 25 feet long. And I talking to the general and he has boots on, you know, big combat boots and they're rubber soles. And I have nice leather. Good. And uh, I say, you know what, General, get ready. If I grab you, you just get ready, because I got this stupid ramp that somebody put up, and uh, there's no stairs, right? And I said, so I tiptoed down, and I suffered for that. They never covered my speech. But everybody, the, the smart people understood that. But uh, that's too bad. If you fell, it's too bad. 
Okay, remember he was, for the same speech, he was criticized for gripping a glass uh, with both hands. So it didn't shake and he didn't spill his water. And by the way, I defended Trump on this one <laughs> because, okay, you do want to avoid falling or, or, or slipping. And, of course, uh, as charming, and I will uh, agree that uh, uh, Trump actually had a reasonable reaction here. Uh, DeSantis, well, uh, the idea of uh, Joe Biden being sandbagged, DeSantis was kind of more serious about it. This is 5.5. Now, he did see, I think a lot of people saw, he had a fall at this Air Force uh, event and you know, I, I, I don't know if he sustained injuries, but I just want to say that um, uh, we hope uh, and wish Joe Biden a swift recovery from any injuries he may have sustained. But we also wish the United States of America a swift recovery from the injuries it has sustained because of Joe Biden and his policies. Uh, OK, uh, there you have it. And uh, then Jim Clyburn, who's one of the very few people in Washington still, who's actually in the Biden age group, had this to say on the issue of Biden's age. This is the congressman from South Carolina who helped make Biden president by backing him in the primary. This is clip 19. His age. Are you concerned at all that this will have an impact on the campaign? Yes, I've been saying all the time that age will have uh, an impact. Uh, but whether or not it's determinative, uh, I think will determine what be dependent upon whether or not uh, uh, he responds uh, going forward and the way he responds. Okay, uh, the way the president had responded was with good humor. Apparently he is not injured. This is not one of the critical threats to uh, the United States of America. There are critical threats out there and some of them have to do with the functioning of our own political system. We'll be talking about that uh, and also the overwhelming issue of homelessness, which gets swept under the rug so often in this greatest nation on God's green earth.